You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. morning. Today's passage is Mark 2.23 through 3.6. That's Mark 2.23 through 3.6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. So he looked around at them in anger, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Karis. Brad, thank you, praise team as well. So good to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, I think what we've been doing, if I'm remembering correctly, is uh, roping off the balcony until down here fills. And so I think we can open it up. If anybody feels more comfortable being up there, please don't be stopped by the, the little rope. So if you want to move, no, no, uh, no problem with that whatsoever. And if there's a little movement here, that's okay. Um, that's a good problem to have, right? To be able to um, spread out here. But greetings, greetings church and uh, those joining us on the live stream as well. One thing I wanted to point out about our kids moments, which I've been really enjoying and trying to pay attention to because um, those, those videos that you see are the same videos that are shown in children's ministry downstairs and then are taught on in more depth by our children's ministry volunteers. And so parents pay close attention because those that's, you, give a, you get a window into the world of what your kids are learning and the truths that they're interacting with and provides great food for thought in um, discussions around the dinner table afterwards and throughout the week. One thing I did want to uh, make our family aware of is that during this, um, this surge within our pandemic here, the, the MIC has asked that we uh, see everyone's vaccination cards over the course of the next week or so. And so what we're, what we're hoping to do is if you're comfortable emailing that, you're welcome to do that to ebf at ebfchurch.org. If you would rather show it in person, you can do so at the door starting January 16th, or you can show a negative COVID test 
And that's because we are renting this facility as a concert hall and also as a place where children are instructed. Um, we're trying to be good tenants and abide by the guidelines that we have, not only in Evanston, but in Cook County and, and as tenants here at the MIC. And so I wanted to make you aware, aware of that. I hope that doesn't derail <laughs> our time as we open up God's word here. But uh, thank you for bearing, bearing with us as we continue to gather and try to do so in, in a, as safe and responsible way as we can. Let's pray before we dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are indeed the risen Christ. May we lift you high this day. And Lord, capture our hearts, our thoughts with the truth of your word, with the rest that you have patterned for us and that you have secured for us. Would you use your word this morning to reach down deep within us? Would you satisfy us with good things? Renew us, restore us, Father. Spur us on in this race that you have already gone before us in. Lord and Holy Spirit, illumine your word. Help us to see and to grasp its significance for our lives. And may we leave changed people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is common to find, even among Christians today, different convictions surrounding the Sabbath. One of the great joys and privileges of my life is having been to northern Iraq a couple of times here within recent history and to interact with and to be a part of the evangelical church there in the Kurdish region there to the north. And I remember sitting with some of my, some of my brothers there, Muslim background believers, and one in particular, I could see them working out their new faith in Jesus Christ and one of them, who was considering church planting as well, was really hung up, maybe hung up isn't the right phrase, but was convinced that the Sabbath was for today and something that the church should, um, that, the, that the church should follow suit. And I remember the, the brother on his other side was less convinced and saw it more as a matter of Christian freedom. And here I am as a guest in their midst, but um, also coming in, part of it was to provide training and equipping for the leaders there, and so they wanted me to settle it. <laughs> right, wanted me to settle centuries of debate on this. But the passage that we just heard read here reveals our Savior as himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And then what it goes on to do is to demonstrate his lordship in this undeniable healing. But for us to gain a sense of perhaps the outrageous nature of this claim for him to be lord of the Sabbath, we need to go back a few pages. We need to go back to the beginning. And that's my heart in our time together this morning as we trace this theme, this theme of Sabbath, Sabbath rest, from its foundations that are laid in the creation account to how it is then established in the law and developed by the prophets to this point here when Jesus is before the religious leaders and it comes to a boiling point. So, if you'll indulge me, maybe this is a little, I hope I didn't bite off more than I can chew. <laughs> but, uh, and I will say too that there is a, a resource that I found really helpful in this process. It's called the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology. And if you've never heard of that, I highly recommend it to you. It has many articles in it that take different themes in scripture 
and trace those themes from Genesis to Revelation. I found it really helpful in putting this together. But let's dive in, beginning first with the creation account itself. The creation account lays the foundation for the Sabbath as God rests from all of his work. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Genesis 2 here describes God's magnificent work of creation as complete in all of its vast array and connects this this completion with the seventh day. The end of God's work in creation brought about a new era that was blessed and set aside so that what was created could now simply be. The seventh day was intended to be a day of fruitfulness, a day of joy, ruling as God's vice regents over his good world and a state of ongoing, unbroken relationship. But that relationship was shattered through our rebellion. Sin entered God's good world. And even as a part of the very curse itself, work became painful toil. The ground yields thorns and thistles. Yet God in his mercy promises, even in these first few pages of Genesis, a snake-crushing savior. A snake-crushing savior. He calls a people to himself, the people of Israel, and gives them his law. And so if the foundation for the Sabbath is laid in the creation account, then it is in the law that the Sabbath day is established and further fleshed out in how it is to be kept. By the way, I'm sorry, I didn't, get, I didn't quite get to making slides with all of these points here this morning, but they are all in the service guide. And so you can find that either on the Church Center app or if you just go to our homepage and click service guide, you can follow along. So for the note takers, I want to save your hands cramping up, I guess. The law establishes the Sabbath day and further flushes out how it is to be kept. The word Sabbath means to rest. It is a close kin to the word shalom, meaning peace. And it first appears in Exodus 16 in the context of God mercifully providing, providing uh manna and quail for his people in the wilderness. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. And then perhaps most famously, the Sabbath is included then as the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. It is established as part of the Israelites' weekly rhythm. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. As Exodus continues, it establishes the Sabbath and uses the words of a covenant sign The Sabbath is holy to the Lord, Exodus 31, to be celebrated for generations as a lasting covenant. And work on the Sabbath was not permitted, including including plowing and harvesting. 
according to Exodus 34. When you fast forward to Leviticus 25, it sets aside what's called a sabbatical year for the land, for the land to enjoy, where the crops are not harvested, but they're left in place for the poor to glean. And keeping the Sabbath would then become one of the the focal points, the most important ways that God's people would then show their devotion to God. So creation sets the foundation, the law establishes, and then the prophets significantly develop more of a theology of the Sabbath. In Isaiah 56, keeping the Sabbath is placed alongside maintaining justice, doing what is right, the salvation that God provides that is close at hand. And in Isaiah 58, the Sabbath day belongs to the Lord. Rather than using it for human pursuits, it is for taking delight in Yahweh. And then in Isaiah 66, it points forward to the day when Sabbath rest will be celebrated by humankind in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 22 says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Turning to Exodus, Exodus 20, it is Israel's failure to keep the Sabbath that is cited as one of the reasons for its downfall and eventual exile as well. And it is closely, it is, it is equated with idolatry. It is equated with idolatry. Verse 16 says, because they rejected my laws and did not follow my decrees and desecrated my Sabbaths, for their hearts were devoted to idols. Even the exile in Babylon is presented as an opportunity for the land to enjoy the Sabbaths that it was denied by the people when they lived there. And when the people returned from exile, it is not surprising that keeping the Sabbath became such a big issue. We see that in Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22. And by the time of Jesus, then the focus was on trying especially in this reality, this post-exile reality, was on trying so hard to prevent any sort of Sabbath violation. And so you can see the heart behind the Pharisees in what they attempt to do here in Mark 2. In Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6, Jesus declares and demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This episode happens at the end of the five controversy stories spanning from Mark 2, verse 1, all the way through 3, verse 6. And the conflict with the religious leaders has been building as Jesus demonstrates his ability to forgive sins, as he calls somebody like Levi, a tax collector, to follow him, as he enjoys table fellowship with those that on the outside would view these sorts of people as undesirable, And he's even called into question for certain religious, his lack of certain religious observances. And so the pressure has been mounting, the opposition has been mounting to the point where these two controversy stories revolve around the Sabbath and reach a boiling point, as we'll see in the very last verse. Well, in the fourth controversy story, in chapter two, verses 23 through 28, Jesus first declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Look at the setting there in verses 23 and 24. 
One Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The ripe grain here places this story in some, some place in late spring or early summer. And there is nothing wrong per se with what the disciples were doing. In fact, Deuteronomy 23 even makes provision for eating heads of grain from neighboring fields. But the Pharisees, as religious fundamentalists, can we call them that, had added 39 categories of work over the years to what was forbidden on the Sabbath, and harvesting became one of them. In defining work more stringently, it excluded even minimal work all in the name of showing devotion to God. You know, one of the things I, <laughs> I, I didn't know that this was gonna happen when I joined the army, but one of the things I found myself getting good at was stringing concertina wire. Does anybody know what in the world I'm talking about? So picture these, these bales of round razor, razor wire that are, that are expandable, that you can expand quickly and form some sort of perimeter fence. If you need to create, you know, like a holding area or something like that, you would plop a bale on top of your Humvee and you could quickly deploy it if you needed to. Or you could strand rows and rows of them together and make a perimeter fence. Nasty stuff. It's as if the Pharisees here had erected rows and rows of concertina wire as rules to keep people from even flirting with the edge, to even flirt with the breaking of the Sabbath, these 39 extra categories. Well, Jesus comes to his disciples' defense in verses 25 and 26, and the way he does so is by citing a story of David and his men desperate for food while on a mission together eating the bread of the presence from 1 Samuel 21, verses one through six. Look at verses 25 and 26. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his champions, champions, companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. The bread of the presence is outlined in Leviticus 24, and it involves 12 loaves of unleavened bread that were put in the temple's holy place each Sabbath, and it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They would be swapped out for fresh loaves each Sabbath, and only the priests were to eat them. I'm getting a little hungry just thinking about these the aroma of freshly baked bread. I'm probably torturing you all. I'm sorry. But the bread of the presence here, that, that's, that forms the foundation or the background of this particular passage. And the focus isn't so much on what David did as the, as the fact that it's David who does it. And that scripture doesn't condemn what he did. Already Jesus is laying claim to an authority at least as great as that of David, one of the Pharisees' heroes. Jesus drives home his point in verses 27 and 28. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
People are not to be restricted by the Sabbath as if it is some sort of straitjacket to constrain us. No, the Sabbath was given as one of God's good gifts to his people for refreshment and for renewal, renewal that is spiritual and physical and mental, whole body, and caring for people in need who were created uniquely in the image of God matters infinitely more than rules surrounding keeping the Sabbath. And once more, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man as he has just done back in chapter two, verse 10, when he demonstrated his divine authority to forgive sins. And he does so once more. The Lord of the Sabbath points to Jesus' authority and affirms his divine divine status. He is not Lord over the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. That is, the Sabbath is uniquely bound up in who he is. It is akin to the I am statements in John. It would be, this is almost like Mark's way of, saying, if, of Jesus saying, I am the Sabbath. I am the one who will finally bring the blessings of the Sabbath to the people of God. Matthew's gospel reinforces this even more by placing the story that we're looking at right here, Matthew 12, right after perhaps some of the most famous verses surrounding rest in all of scripture, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Immediately after those words then in Matthew's gospel, it enters into this story where Jesus declares, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Well, this story should cause us to examine even more closely whether we apply rules and regulations rigidly without taking human need into account. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And following him is more important than living by any sort of set of obligations, especially those that are man-made. Dexter Mabin, writing in the South Asia Bible Commentary, says this, any religious practice, no matter how good its original intent, can become a distraction if it diverts us from a fuller and closer relationship with God. Trust in Christ. Oh, church, the perfect son of man and Lord of the Sabbath who brings the blessings of the Sabbath upon all who call on his name. Closely aligned then in the fifth controversy story in verses one through, chapter three, verses one through six, Jesus, where he is first declared that he is Lord of the Sabbath, now demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath in an undeniable and powerful healing. Look once more at the setting of this story in verses one through two. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus is most likely back in familiar territory, back at the synagogue in Capernaum, where we've seen a few things already play out. But here, the tension is ratcheted up. The word accuse is actually more of a, has more of a legal connotation. 
They are in the process of assembling an airtight case against Jesus. Assembling evidence to present against him in their case. And this man, this man with a shriveled hand was no more than a pawn in their plan. Amazingly, they do not question his ability to heal. They only watch carefully to see if he would do so on the Sabbath. Something they were convinced was a form of work that could not be done. And they aim to use his power and his compassion against him. Well, Jesus is not threatened. Jesus is not intimidated, but responds in a way that affirms this man's dignity. Look at verses three through five. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. By having this man stand in front of everyone, Jesus powerfully heals this man in an intentional and public and undeniable way. And his question about which is lawful on the Sabbath should have been responded to with to do good, to save life. In an echoing of Moses' final words to Israel in Deuteronomy 30. Verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Moses goes on in verses 19 and 20, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. What Jesus was about to do did not violate the Old Testament law. No, it went against their tighter traditions that missed the point of the law altogether. What we'll discover here later in Mark, in Mark 12, that of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. That is the heart of the law. Well, Jesus silences his accusers and looks around at them in righteous anger. Why? because he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Another way of saying hard hearts. This is an expression that underscores essentially willful rejection of God. Their hearts are more withered than this man's hand. As William Lane puts it, in their concern for legal detail, they had forgotten the mercy and grace shown by God to man when he made provision for the Sabbath in the first place. Amazingly, Jesus did not do anything that he could, could be even considered work by their definition. He, he didn't even touch the man. He simply spoke. The man stretched out his hand and he was restored. He restored this broken image bearer on of all days, the day that remembers and celebrates God's gracious provision, the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus embodies and brings life. The life that the law sought to preserve in the first place. Jesus embodies and brings this life. 
This miracle is an example of what Jesus, being Lord of the Sabbath, means practically. People delivered from the valley of the shadow of death and restored into the perfect image of God. Needless to say, the Pharisees will not stand for this, and so the plot begins. The plot to assassinate Jesus begins. Verse six, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians are not people that we come across very frequently in the Gospels, but they were those that supported the ruler Herod Antipas of Galilee and his family dynasty. They supported what was called Hellenism, that is Greek influence, and were often uh, in conflict with the Pharisees, often had cross purposes with them typically adversaries on political and social issues, but joined forces here against the common enemy. Do you know the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? It's as if that's what's happening here. They came to see Jesus as a threat to their power and status and revealed their true motivation, aiming to destroy Jesus, destroy Jesus. When we look at a little layer in this, a little deeper, in, or peel, maybe peel back a layer here, Jesus decisively answers the question of what is permitted on the Sabbath by healing this image bearer's withered hand. But ironically, the Pharisees, who view themselves as the guardians of the Sabbath, think about those rows and rows of concertina wire, they plot to do evil and to kill on of all days, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. Pointing forward to Jesus' impending death on the cross, his suffering, his death, and this seals their own fate. Rejection of Jesus is the rejection of Sabbath rest, is the rejection of life, restoration, the Sabbath rest that he brings. You know, it is one thing to debate viewpoints and to argue positions theoretically in lecture halls. It is another thing when we come face to face with human need. Jesus saw this man and was moved to show mercy. May we see our fellow image bearers. May we see those that God has uniquely made in his image and be moved to compassion. Jesus showed righteous anger at their stubborn hearts and callous indifference, and yet we do not see him retaliating with angry words. He responded with positive action. I think this is worth taking note. May we follow his example and respond with positive action as channels for his healing power to flow. And so if in Mark's gospel, Jesus both declares and demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath. In John's gospel, the Christological implications of the Sabbath are enhanced even more. John has a tendency to do this across the board, but especially surrounding the Sabbath. In John 5, verses 16 to 18, Jesus defends his Sabbath activity by saying, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
This is a bold statement of authority, and the religious leaders understand it in the moment as a claim to being equal with God. And in the verses that follow, in John, it shows that God will bring to completion his goal for humanity. How? In the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, bringing life and Sabbath rest to God's people. By the time we get to Paul then, Paul emphasizes that the law, including Sabbath keeping, belongs to an earlier era that has been fulfilled in Christ. In Galatians 4, 9 through 11, the Galatians, for them to keep the Sabbath as if they are still bound by Old Testament law would mean to spiral into gospel-denying slavery. In a similar way in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, it says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Then in Romans 14, Paul acknowledges that there are differences in conviction among believers, even as some consider one day more sacred than another, verse five, and reminds us that we are not to judge one another in how we live out our commitment to God. I think this is instructive today for when Christians hold different convictions on something like this, how the Sabbath is to be observed. I think about my brothers in Iraq working that out in their biblical convictions. But everything on the Sabbath comes to a head in Hebrews. In fact, I wish I could just preach another sermon at this point, but Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 11. Hebrews drives home that Jesus lived the Sabbath day, entered God's rest, and as Lord of the Sabbath calls us into that same rest. Yeah, if, if you have the opportunity this week, I highly commend reading, these, this, reading this passage in its entirety. It brings the Sabbath rest full circle all the way back to Genesis and reminds us that God's rest is something that God established on the seventh day. That this rest is entered into by responding to the truth of the gospel through Jesus Christ. Hebrews four verse three, now we who have believed enter that rest. While rest in the promised land was the goal of God's liberation of his people from Egypt, even when the people entered the land, that rest is still described as future. Verse verse nine, for for if Joshua had given that rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Even after entering the land, there was still a future rest that was promised, that was spoken of. And for Christians, our complete rest is still a future hope, but it is a sure hope. It is a fixed hope. Why? Because there is one man, Jesus, who has now entered that rest and ceased from all of his work as God did from his. Verse 10. Christians today keep the Sabbath by entering into God's rest by faith and ceasing from our works. This is the gospel on full display. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, perfectly lived the Sabbath day, liberating us from bondage, lavishing us with blessing, and making it possible for you and I to also enter into that rest. 
Jesus lived the Sabbath day, entered God's rest, and as Lord of the Sabbath, calls us into that rest by ceasing from our work and believing in him. Jesus lived the Sabbath day, entered God's rest, and as Lord of the Sabbath, calls us into that rest by ceasing from our work and believing in him. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that something as simple and yet profound as this theme of Sabbath in your holy word can intersect with our hearts, find us in our own longings for rest. We all face that, Lord. And would you cause us to stop striving and to start resting in you? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have gone before us, that you have lived the Sabbath day once and for all and how you invite us into this rest that you have secured through your cross. Lord Jesus, we look to you. We love you. We thank you for all that you have endured. Even as this passage reminds us of the, of the plot that was hatched leading to your death, we praise you that on the third day you rose again victoriously from the grave, conquering sin and death once and for all. Lord Jesus Christ, may we find our true rest in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great mercy that you lavish upon us, fallen image bearers though we are. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.